This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. This podcast is brought to you by Greystone Theological Institute. Faithful theological wisdom, edification, and training in a rapidly changing world. Visit greystoneinstitute.org. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College, and recently appointed, just to blow my own trumpet, as a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in DC, and canceled by YouTube. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Carl, I, I was going to uh, congratulate you on that cancellation from YouTube. You know that you've arrived. I mean, in a way, it was inevitable, but now finally... You have something worth boasting about. I, I was worried I was doing something wrong because nobody seemed to be banning me from any platform. So it was kind of reassuring to to finally make it. Um, of course, I now have Instagram and YouTube to my credit. Ryan Anderson only has Amazon, as far as I know. So yeah, on sheer numbers, I'm I'm two to one ahead. It's it's good. I mean, it's kind of impressive. And and I I will also say, in in case some of our listeners don't know, you you've actually made the Wall Street Journal now. Carl, you've arrived. Carl, you are as American now pretty much as 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 anybody can be American. You've been you've been written up in the Wall Street Journal. You've been banned by YouTube. Uh, you're you're a fellow at the uh, Ethics and Pop- Public Policy Center in Washington DC. I mean, what what more uh, do we need to do it's, for you? I, I've done it all. I, I think I can now happily retire, much to the oh. delight, no doubt, of the people at YouTube. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, on the Wall Street Journal as well, I mean, it's it's actually, it's you know, I was written up in the Wall Street Journal, not for insider trading. And that's, that's, a good thing. that's quite a remarkable achievement. That makes you a rare person. I agree. Indeed. I agree. So, yeah. anyway, that was the voice of my colleague, Todd Pruitt, that I had not introduced at the start there, but familiar, no doubt, to many of you. Todd is the pastor of uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. So it's good to be with you all today. Mm. And we want to talk today about the issue of patriotism. Uh, is patriotism a virtue? Is it appropriate for Christians to be patriotic? What is the distinction between nationalism and patriotism? We hear an awful lot in the news these days about Christian nationalism, uh, which is portrayed very much as a bad thing and seems to have become something of a catch-all category for anybody who expresses any kind of pride uh, in their country or any sort of delight in being of a particular nationality. So, Todd, uh, what do you think? Patriotism, good thing, bad thing, something that Christians should not be involved with? If it is, how is it? how, sh- how does it fit into the, the broader vision of the Christian life? Yeah. Well, I think it's a great question, and it's something that's causing a lot of confusion among the church. You mentioned Christian nationalism earlier, which, as you said, has become almost kind of a catchphrase, a condemnation. You know, Christian nationalism, that is now the new boogeyman um, in, in a lot of the contemporary church today. I mean, forget about all the sins that the Bible actually mentions. Now what we really have to worry about um, is is that dastardly abomination, Christian nationalism. Now, Certainly, uh, I, I would imagine there's a, there's a brand of nationalism that can become sinful, just like almost anything that might not be sinful in and of itself, we can make sinful for, for sure. And certainly there's a kind of pride of place that can become sinful uh, without any question about that. Um, but but to, to condemn or, or to have antipathy towards all expressions of patriotism seems to me to be a bit misguided and not necessarily grounded in in scripture i I don't know that we have um any admonitions in scripture to you know be ye patriotic however um i think one can make the argument that citizens from scripture that citizens have a um a duty if you like to be thankful for their place of origin and their place in the world. We know that God and his sovereignty from uh, uh, Paul's uh, speech um, in Athens uh, places us uh, individuals and nations across the face of the earth, wherever he pleases. Um, We are commanded to uh, show proper respect to our governing authorities. Governing authorities are to um, love the people of, of, of their nation and to take care of them and to, 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 to guard um, their, their safety, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me you can extrapolate from certain passages that, a, a, that there is a place for a proper uh, expression of both gratitude and, and thankfulness and, and perhaps even um, a, a kind of a love for your place in the world, for the people who are most closely connected to you geographically because you have a, uh, a higher responsibility to them, biblically speaking, to those that are with you. You know, our first responsibility are our closest neighbors. And, and, uh, and so I, I think broadly speaking, you can, you can extrapolate from scripture that 
there is a proper kind of patriotism, a love for one's people, a love for one's uh, nation. Um, that is a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think about um, John's vision in the book of Revelation about uh, uh, the kings of the nations uh, coming before the throne of the Lamb and, and, and giving him honor. Now, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that. I know what some people have made of, of that reference to the kings of the nations that there will be in heaven all of the nationalities preserved. I'm not convinced of that. But, but it's interesting to think through how there is some sort of, at least in a moment where the kings of the nations are coming before the, the, the lamb and laying down their, their crowns, some sort of a recognizable um, nationality. I don't know to what extent that's preserved in heaven. I don't think we're going to have separations of, 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 you know, different classes of heaven and different nations in the new creation like we do now. Uh, but I say all that to say there is something God made and potentially God honoring about these national distinctions of ours. I'm not talking about racial distinctions, but na- and, and that's not what the Bible is concerned about. You know, these kind of racial distinctions as we understand them in our contemporary moment, but national uh, distinctions. Uh, God created that. It's 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 a capitulation to the fall, I think. But 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 nevertheless, there is something um, that is uh, good and necessary about national distinctions. And Americans can be thankful to be American, and a Canadian, although I don't know why he would be, can be thankful for being a Canadian, um, and so forth and so on. Sandy Finlayson will be sending in a complaint, I'm sure, after that last comment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a couple of things come to my mind. One, of course, is that I think there's a legitimate fear that, that nationalism, a kind of national chauvinistic attitude yes. to one's own identity, to the denigration of other people, yes. uh, is, is a very worldly mentality. And one would agree, but I think one must also bear in mind that the collapse of nationalism or collapse of patriotism even is also can also be very worldly. Uh, again, listeners will know one of my intellectual heroes is Philip Reef and his analysis of the rise of the therapeutic society, a society focused upon the emotional needs of individuals. And he makes the comment in in his book, the, Thera- uh, the Triumph of the Therapeutic, that as as the sort of the therapeutic, we might say, selfish individual emerges as normative in society, two institutions will will be marginalized. One of those institutions is the church. The other institution is the nation. And he says Mm. the reason for this is that church and nation require a sacrifice of self. So in the the reaction we're seeing, I would say, not just against extreme forms of, of nationalism, but against patriotism, we're also seeing, you know, the rise of a very worldly mentality, if you like. Mm. It may not be fear of nationalism that drives some of this, it might actually be the exaltation of self, of therapeutic needs that drives it. And the second thing I'd comment on is there's a rightful fear, I think, that if we have pride in our nation, we automatically look down on other nations. And I mean, yeah. you've given a great example of that. You already indicated that <laughs> uh, that your love for America leads you to sneer at Canadians. Well, I, I'd want to suggest that that patriotism doesn't need to be a zero-sum game like that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I draw an analogy with 
say, uh, uh, my wife. I, I think my wife is the most wonderful and the most beautiful woman in the entire world. And when I say that, people hear me as saying, I love my wife. They don't right. hear me as saying, every other woman in the world is mediocre and inferior right. to my wife. A man's love for his wife, a wife's love for a husband, that's not a zero-sum game. Mm. It's something that speaks very personally. And I would say the key to, to, to legitimate patriotism is that, that pride, that gratitude in the country from which one comes, which does not lead one to look down or to despise or to spit upon other nations and other countries. I mean, I'm, a, I'm not an American citizen yet. I'm a, a, a citizen of the United Kingdom. Even if I ever take out American citizenship, I will always, my heart will always be English. Sure. You know, home and, and, and the, is where the heart is to, right. to some extent. But I'm incredibly grateful that I, I'm allowed to live in America. America has been very kind to me and my family. I think there is tremendous amount to appreciate uh, in America, um, not your heads of state. I have to say, uh, no, there's nothing to make one a monarchist more than living in the United States of America. Our, our batting average um, is not great right now. Yeah, mm. I mean, okay, the next generation could be problematic for us. But you know, mm. uh, I came over thinking, is the Queen a good idea about it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, after the last 20 years of American presidents, I'm inclined to think, hey. Queen's not too bad. I don't have to worry every four years that there's going to be an embarrassing person running my country. Right. You know, Karen and I, my wife and I went to Scotland two years ago and had a, had a wonderful time um, in Scotland. So close and- to the promised land and yet so far away, man. You, you, it must have been frustrating. You could almost taste what, it, I'm what sure. What was great is that the whole, the whole time we were in Scotland, I never felt an urge to hop on a train and go south. I mean, I felt very much at home. You're not sanctified enough. Clearly, <laughs> clearly there's stuff to be mortified here, right. man. But uh, here's the deal. I, I, I would have been disappointed had I gone to Scotland and not seen Scottish people love Scotland. It would have seemed strange and 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 really, in a sense, wrong had I gone there and not seen any Scottish flags, not seen any banners with a thistle on it or or anything like that. That would have been very, very odd. Um, you know, when we did some of the the, the castle tours, you know, that tourists have to do at, oh, yeah. at Edinburgh yeah. and Stirling, which were wonderful, by the way. You know, the tour guides were clearly filled with a sense of great um, love for their nation. And it would have as demonstrated by their hateful comments about the English. (laughs) Well, those tours had to, uh, you know, put, you know, the, the history of Scotland in its proper historical context against the tyranny of the English. Of we course. Pr- you know, we protected those people from themselves <laughs> for hundreds of years, and this is the way they repay exactly. us. But I mean, it would have been very, very odd uh, and, and off-putting had we gone to Scotland and not seen proper civic displays of of love for nation. We expected to see that. We, in a sense, you know, we wanted uh, to see that we were excited to go to Scotland. It would have seemed odd had none of the people there actually been ex- excited about being in Scotland. And I, I think what we see in in the U.S. is, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier that um, this preoccupation with self, a therapeutic preoccupation with self, um, uh, can work against an appropriate sort of patriotism because patriotism calls me to look outside of myself. It causes causes me to um, value um, others to the point of willing sacrifice if necessary. 
Um, why is it that Americans can watch certain films like Saving Private Ryan, where, where extraordinary acts of selfless sacrifice and heroism are displayed and our hearts are moved uh, by that um, as, as they should be? Um, and we wonder, you know, is that still alive in our country or in any Western nation right now is, is a willingness to sacrifice? You hear some of the and whatever you think about Winston Churchill, I happen to admire the man. Uh, even with his faults, you, I, I go back and I read some of his speeches and think, you know, could could some of those things even be said now today? Um, I look at some of Reagan's speeches or some of Eisenhower's speeches. And I think could some of those things even be said today or would they be seen as as kind of retrograde or even ironic because of the sort of sacrifice they call for, because of the sort of looking outside of oneself? Um, that they call for, you know, you, you look at, at, at U.S. Navy or, or U.S. Army recruiting materials now. And what is the slogan of the U.S. Army now? Be an army of one. You know, it, it's it, it, what they've done is they've tapped into the self-centered therapeutic culture quite well, actually, mm-hmm. and, and said that the military service is really about you. It, it's yeah. about you becoming you. And, and that was clear with the the, the campaign to, for for transgender service people and the idea mm-hmm. we have to yes. allow transgender people to express themselves through the right. army. Well, the whole point of the army was not <laughs> was you don't express yourself. You're not there to express yourself. You, you lose your individuality exactly. in order to become a fight part of a fighting machine right. to defend the nation. Exactly. Uh, it's you know if if you're not doing that, then you're not an army. You're a therapy group. Uh, right. But. Cut to, uh, I mean, let's let's bring it sort of closer to home then for the church, Todd. And I, mm-hmm. I have my opinion on this, but I'm not going to tell you until you put your sure. foot in it, and I mm-hmm. can I can then present myself as Mister Reasonable to the, <laughs> to, right the, to the listeners. American flag in church. Yeah. What about it? Yes. So um, here's the deal. I'm I I love to see the American flag in in public spaces. I think the American flag ought to be in schools and in town squares and. On our city streets, I think flags ought to be American flags ought to be in corporate headquarters, although even privately owned, they shouldn't be forced. But I think American corporations would be wise to have an American flag. I think American flags ought to um, ought to adorn households. I love on the Fourth of July to drive around my neighborhood and see um, American flags and at Memorial Day to see American flags. I think that's a wonderful thing, just like I would expect to see, as I said, the same thing in Scotland, to see Scottish Mm. flags waving. But I, I would not put an American flag in the place of, of Christian worship um, because, well, for a couple of reasons, um, but, but mostly because when we are inviting people into the sanctuary, into the place of the corporate worship of God on the Lord's Day, we are having them step into kind of a new sort of nation, if you like, whose, whose king is the Lord. And, and though God is the king over all the world and over all nations in that place of worship, we need to be very careful to be reminded that our citizenship ultimately is in heaven, that our king is Jesus, and that we are there to to worship him. Another reason why I don't have an American flag in not only not in the in the worship center, in the sanctuary itself, but not in the church building at all, is because we, we want to say to anyone from wherever they are from who would show up at our front door uh, that uh, the Lord's house is a house for all the nations. Uh, 
If I was going to have an American flag, I'd want to have all of the flags. You know, I can see a place for that. I can, I can see a place for a church having flags from all of the nations and that being, you know, an appropriate reminder, but I would say either have all the flags or don't have any flags. So you are a commie then after all. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm a a liberal feminist communist. I mean, it's interesting because as as an immigrant, um, I have never been offended or intimidated by the American flag in a church. I don't, I don't find it offensive on that level. I've never felt, I felt excluded sometimes for various reasons, but not because the American flag is there, but my Mm. own instincts lean Mm. very much in, in in your direction. I often wonder if, you know, if I was called as a pastor to a church where there's an American flag at the front, would it be a hill that I would die on as pastor? Probably not in my first five years. You know, it, it, yeah. it wouldn't be a deal no. breaker, but it would be something I think I'd want to teach on and hopefully persuade the the elders and the congregation that it's it's not necessary. I mean, my wife and I have always taken the view that that we are guests in the United States. We're privileged to be here. When we go to sports events, for example, we stand and I take my hat off. For the national anthem, I don't sing your national anthem. I think that would be that would be treasonous, and I could be beheaded or something if it was if it was recorded. <laughs> no, but we don't sing the national anthem. That would be ridiculous. We don't pledge allegiance to the flag. But I have to say, though, just culturally, pledging allegiance to a flag is kind of weird anyway from an English perspective. But we've always <clears throat> and actually it. And actually, it's 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 not an it's not an incredibly no, old no. practice, even in the United States. It's fairly like there are no old practices in the United States. It's not a very old country, man. <laughs> but even in comparison to the United States, the pledge yeah. is, is not that. But old. we, I mean, yeah. we we've we've never done it for obvious reasons. But I've always stood mm-hmm. respectfully because, unlike some immigrants that I see pontificating online and on TV, I'm actually grateful to be here. Uh, I'm thankful yeah. to be in the United States. I think the United States, for all of the problems in its history, it doesn't have any more problems than many other nations have. Uh, and yeah. there are many, many good things to to commend it. And as I say, it's been very good to me and my family. But flag in church, uh, I, I, it's not quite a matter indifferent to me. I, I, I don't like to see the flag at the front of the church, but it doesn't offend yeah. me at any great level. And I've never felt mm-hmm. unwelcome as a non-American in a church because there's been a flag at the front. But yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say it, it and it's interesting hearing you say that because I, I thought, well, you know, if I were to have walked into a, um, a worship service in Scotland or England and there had been an English flag or a Scottish flag, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't even know. I mean, if I had, if I had even noticed it at all, it, it, it wouldn't have offended me. And I had never thought about it. And that it wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought, oh my goodness, they're expecting me to worship their nation too. That thought would never we have. We do have a different attitude to flags in Britain to America. There's, there's much more of a cult of the flag here. Remember in the 1980s, you know, the Libyans were always burning the American and the and American flag, Stars and Stripes, and the Union Jack. And, yeah. you know, was, I remember sitting in British, we'd, we'd be sitting there scratching our heads, thinking, oh, those crazy Libyans, what will they do next? Kind of thing. Whereas in America, <laughs> that would be a, obviously a deeply offensive gesture. So I think Absolutely. the flag has less cachet. You'd probably see it in an Anglican church in, 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 in mm-hmm. England. But of course, the Anglican church is the established church, it's the church of the nation, right. which is. I also think is a bit of a problem actually, but, uh, but we don't have the same cult of the flag. Yeah. You mentioned earlier um, 
don't don't try to do it in your first five years. Don't and, try and to do I, anything I, in your first five more. years unless you're dealing with <laughs> absolute heresy. You don't have yeah, the goodwill right. to get away if, with it at that point. That's right. If you are a young idealistic pastor who you know is like me, hey, you love your country, you have a flag to put out in front on the Fourth of July, but 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 you do have a conviction about not having it in the sanctuary. Wow, there are a lot of other bigger priorities than you fixing that. And, and I've seen guys go in and, and, and ruin a lot of goodwill and cash in um, leadership stock that they haven't even built up yet um, to, to make that, that emotional of a move. And you're right in the United States, um, the flag possesses a kind of sacredness that um, it, that other, you know, Western European nations may not have in terms of an attitude towards their flag. Now, um, I, I, I would also, how would you differentiate? So, so when we talk about Christian nationalism, I, I I think about some of the unhealthy expressions of patriotism in the place of worship. I think of first Baptist church, Dallas, um, who during the 2016 presidential campaign, their, their choir director, you know, the director of music there wrote, a choir anthem called make America great again. Yeah. I kid you not. And, and they performed it. That's clearly a problematic um, uh, expression. I think of, of patriotism in the place of, of, of worship where we're starting to mix our allegiances. They're starting to mix our worship of Jesus with our worship of our nation. And in some cases, perhaps even a particular candidate yeah. for president. And so we've seen those unhealthy um expressions of patriotism, but, but to, to dismiss all attitudes or expressions of patriotism as inherently problematic or inherently parochial or inherently now more and more in some cases, you know, racist is, is just, it, it doesn't make sense intellectually, but, but, and, and as I said earlier, I, I think, I think you can make an argument against that in, in scripture, um, as, As well, I think there's an expectation among the biblical writers that there's going to be an an attitude of proper loyalty yeah. to one's yeah. nation. I think you're, you're correct there, Todd. I think the uh, you know I'd go to Augustinian categories here and say the the flourishing of the earthly city, and by earthly city I don't mean urban ministry, you know, the urban area. I mean the right. kingdoms of this earth, the flourishing of the nations right. that we belong to. Uh, is important for the protecting of the innocent and the the putting down of the wicked. Now, the nation state as we have it is is a contingent historical construct. You go back five hundred years, you would right. not find nation states in the way we have today. It's always you know, when you teach Reformation. I'm always wrestling with how do we describe Luther? Do, do we call him a national, a German nationalist at points? Well, we mm. can't really because there is no German nation there. You know, Luther's Luther's patriotism, if you like, is constructed a little differently to ours. But I think one thing you find throughout history is that the the welfare of the earthly social structures, of mm. which now the the nation state is the most prominent. Uh, that's important for the protecting of the innocent and right. the and the putting down of the wicked. And to that extent, I think Christians have a vested interest in being patriotic, 
in promoting the good of of the the earthly city. Uh, It's when we start to confuse the earthly city with the heavenly city, when we start to think that, you know, America is vital to the coming of the kingdom. When we start thinking like that, then we're starting to move into the direction that I would say of nationalism, and we're eliminating biblical thinking there and replacing it with something that is much more worldly in its orientation. Well, you, you mentioned Luther, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but wouldn't you say that that part of what drove Bonhoeffer was his love for Germany? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the love for the yeah love for the earthly city is most powerfully and best articulated in love for the weak, in love for the yeah. innocent, in love for you know putting down the wicked and protecting those people. And mm-hmm. our nations are the units by which we do that at this particular point in time. And I right. think Bonhoeffer understood that. And I think Christians today should understand that. Yes, we should, uh, yeah. we should repudiate the truly nationalistic and racist kind sure. of approaches to, to nationhood that sometimes do penetrate Christian circles. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no doubt that uh, Christians can be vulnerable to this sin as to any other sin. Uh, but that yes. doesn't mean that we we should replace or reject what is good in those things. And as I said, you know, we mm. don't reject the family because some people idolize the family or some families are abusive. What we do is we project a good vision of the family. We reform the family. Uh, and I think we yeah. need to think about that relative to the Christian approach uh, to the nation. It's not something that we, we idolatrously worship because that's going to be a problem. But it's something that as Christians, we strive to make as good as, as possible to fulfill the limited yeah. functions that it is designed to fulfill. Yeah, that's good. And I think it's, it's helpful considering um, all of the, uh, the confusion on, on the issue where we see uh, misplaced um, uh, uh, zeal, um, but also um, misplaced antipathy. And and the truth is in, in between there somewhere. Well, we're glad you joined us uh, today. Uh, if you're an American, be thankful for it. If you're English, be thankful for it. Um, if you're Scottish, be especially thankful And Canadians, for be thankful for um, it. We need, we need to, you know, after that racist comment earlier on, uh, <laughs> Canadians, be thankful for Canada. Yeah. Right. Love, love, love your country. You can be a faithful, God-honoring Christian. In fact, I think part of being a faithful, God-honoring Christian is, is loving the place where God has placed you, loving those people in your immediate vicinity. And, and caring for the good of your nation and, and, and loving your place on the earth where the Lord is, has in his providence placed you. And, uh, and there's proper expressions for that. Well, if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, um, we have a few copies of a new book by Oz Guinness. Um, many of you know or are familiar with uh, Oz Guinness. Uh, he's a resident of the United States. In fact, I think he is actually a citizen of the United States, but from the the United Kingdom. And he's uh, quite a prolific writer. And his last couple of books have have centered around the issue of of his concern about the loss of American distinctives of liberty and freedom. And and as someone who was born and raised in a different place, it it has clearly troubled him to see an antipathy among Americans for the unique um, liberties that we have. Now, his latest book is called The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. 
Um, I've been reading it. I'm almost done with it. And I've really been helped by it. I think there's, there's some excellent insight um, into uh, this that, that would be helpful and encouraging for, uh, for Americans to read and to, to perhaps gain a, a sort of biblical grounding for a proper sort of love for one's country. But if you'll go to our website, you can uh, register to win a copy of Mr. Guinness's uh, newest book, The Magna Carta of Humanity. And while you're there, uh, you might want to consider making a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to provide you with content like this. And until then, we'll look forward to being with you once again on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. University and seminary credentials are not the end, but only steps in a lifelong calling to theological wisdom. And theological wisdom is greatly needed today. Greystone Theological Institute exists to resource rigorous and effective continuing education and scholarship by hosting full and micro-course modules, study days, seminars, workshops, and other events designed for advanced theological edification and fellowship. Exploring and deploying advances in scholarship across the disciplines, Greystone sharpens skills, provokes new questions, and reconsiders old ones in the mode of confessional reformed Catholicity. Join the next course or event at Greystone in Pittsburgh or online or become a Greystone member at greystoneconnect.org today and enjoy access to the rapidly growing online library of all modules, events, and seminars for the price of a paperback. Greystone Theological Institute. Faithful theological wisdom, edification, and training in a rapidly changing world. Visit greystoneinstitute.org for more about Greystone and greystoneconnect.org to become a member today.